That's music of Skydancer from the previous recording. It used to be the new one now. It's the previous one called Cobalt. Hi, good morning. I'm Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. My buddy Jim Shorty is here, and we've got a great show for you. We're going to start the show with Charlene and the Capital Humane Society, Pet Talk, Dogs and Cats for Adoption, and uh, then we've got Lloyd Arbach, the parapsychologist and author, and we'll be talking about the Parapsychological Association meeting coming up and uh, some interesting stuff that Lloyd is involved in and into. He's the consultant for TV and motion pictures for parapsychology, has taught at the uh, collegiate level, authored many, many books on the subject. And then our guest is Lincolnite Joel Green. And Joel's the author of a brand new book called Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections. It's a uh, historical and fun appendium of Robber's Cave. And we'll be talking about that as our main focus today in the show. With me from the Capital Humane Society is Charlene and Pet Talk. And she should be right there. Good morning. Hey, Charlene, how are you? Go, uh, things are going really well here. Thank you. Okay, what's going on at the Capital Humane Society? Uh, well, we will be having cat with uh, yoga with cats, I should say, coming up. It's a really fun way to get some great exercise and support Capital Humane Society. So there'll be cats in the room. It's all levels of yoga. And you can learn more about that by going to our website at capitalhumanesociety.org and see if you want to sign up. Okay, capitalhumanesociety.org. And we're looking at that page right now. What about these uh, stadium skybox passes? Sure. So that's a fun way to support the Humane Society. You can consider entering the raffle. Um, there is more information, again, on our website about the games and the the skybox of stadium passes that you could possibly win. So you'll want to check that out and see if you're interested. Okay, when folks stop out to the Capital Humane Society today, what can they bring you for a donated item or items? We could really use towels right now um, in any shape, any size. Uh, we really go through a lot of those. We use them as bedding or sometimes as rags. Um, and we also need pate-style cat food, so the canned cat food that's pate-style. Um, it's especially good for all the kittens that we try to feed, so those would be two great items to consider donating. And how about some hot weather tips, Charlene? Oh, it is really very hot still, so it it's really important that you're mindful of that. If it's too hot for you, it's too hot for your pet. So just remember, never leave your pet in the car. The car can heat up so fast, mm -hmm. and it can be just tragic. Um, your pet needs nice, cold, fresh water at all times. If they must be outside, it needs to be a shady area where air can circulate. Um, so just remember, they uh, need to have proper care in all types of weather, and we need to be careful in the summertime to make sure they don't end up with heat stroke. This is Charlene from the Catholic Humane Society. We're going to start with cats and kittens for adoption. And who's up first? We'll start with Aaron. And he is very, very handsome. <laughs> He's in a playful pose there wow, in his picture. 
Yeah, brown and black tabby, two years old, arrived as a lost pet. Um, is quite engaging and outgoing. You can see his paws stretched out there. He's ready, ready to give a dangling toy a little whack. <laughs> so he is ready to purr and play in a great new home. What a fun picture. Okay, Aaron's picture is up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org, and he is joined by... Daphne. And Daphne is just gorgeous and a volunteer favorite here. Whenever I go into the cat area, one of our volunteers is just brushing her, and she's rolling and purring. She has the beautiful tortoiseshell markings, big green eyes, about three years old, and longer, very, very fluffy fur. Um, Again, just loves attention. So if you're looking for an affectionate friend, Daphne might be perfect for you. The alternate pronunciation is Daphne. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> great looking cat beautiful beautiful tortoise shell oh my goodness uh daphne's pictures up at capitalhumanesociety.org two cats are better than one and then there's Rada, and Rada is a beautiful mostly white cat she also has the longer fur so she'll need somebody who's um a, a, a able to help keep her neatly groomed. Uh, She has pretty bright eyes. She's about four years old, and she is front declawed, so she's looking for a fabulous indoor-only home. I think that's the first Rada that we've ever had. I think so. A beautiful kitty. Looks like she's just got a little bit of coloring on the top of her head, and she's fluffy. And okay. that blue blanket really brings out the... Oh, doesn't it? The, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, per- very pretty eyes. Yep, you folks do a great, great job at staging cats and dogs for the pictures here. Speaking of pictures, we're looking at the same website you guys and gals can. It's mm-hmm. capitalhumanesociety.org. Uh, three great cats. There's others waiting for you. And here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530 who let the dogs out? Some great-looking dogs yes. here. We do have some beauties, and we'll start with Beauty. Beauty. <laughs> she is a seven-month-old Labrador mix. She's mostly brown with some white. Um, very enthusiastic about everything in life. <laughs> Wants to play and play and then play a little bit more. Oh, yeah. So she needs somebody who has the time to give her ample exercise and training. Um, she, again, is very active and needs someone who wants to keep up with her. Okay, Beauty, a great-looking dog. Get some beauty in your life today. You bet. Beauty's followed by? Nikki. And Nikki is a gorgeous wow. husky. Yeah. Look at Big that. blue eyes. About five years old, about 55 pounds. And she is also very high energy, so um, it's easy to fall in love with these beautiful dogs, but you want to make sure that you do have the time and the space to keep them happy and fit because she's going to need plenty of exercise. Uh, She is also looking to be your one and only furry companion, so she needs a home without dogs or cats. Yep, those captivating eyes. Nikki's got Mm -hmm. them. Great picture at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And... uh, Who's up next? So we're going with Olaf, who is another husky. Oh, yeah. About two years old, a neutered male, also with just striking blue eyes, and also with this all-white, beautiful coat. Um, Always a life of the party and up for an adventure. Wants plenty of walks. Might even make a great running partner. So 
So he's looking for somebody who has as much energy and enthusiasm as he does. Great looking dog. I'm just imagining a, a winter day and he would almost disappear outside in the snow. Yeah, you'd see the pink tongue and the blue eyes popping out of the snowbanks. <laughs> Beauty, Nikki, and Olaf, three great dogs among other great dogs. And maybe this is that weekend that, that you folks have been talking about, a dog or a cat for adoption. This could be a great time. These animals certainly need a great home like yours. Uh, Charlene, what are hours open today and tomorrow? Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 5.30. Okay, my friend, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? Are you going to come over and mow my lawn for me? <laughs> is it getting kind of high? <laughs> Actually, truth be told, I got it done last night, so I'm, I'm oh, good. Oh, nice, nice. I hope yeah, you there's a... plenty of, of yard work to be done at my house, so I'll probably be out there doing some of that. Okay. Thank you so much for all you do, helping us uh, get introduced to great dogs and cats. Thank you so much. Charlene and friends of the Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and next up is going to be the parapsychologist Lloyd Arbog. And uh, Lloyd makes his home on the West Coast. His classic book is now back in print, ESP Hauntings and Poultrygeists. And he joins us every third Saturday for Invisible Signals. And Lloyd has the distinction of being a professional working stage magician. So that that has actually helped him in parapsychology to sort out the, uh, the real from the, the fakers and the hoaxers. And uh, Lloyd has the distinction of having performed a card trick in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, he invited me on the stage to help him with a trick. And uh, I don't know if it was a actually planned or I think it was a misadventure, but he went to hand me the deck and I sort of didn't grab it correctly and the cards fell on the stage. And in spite of that, he was able to salvage the trick <laughs> and still haven't figured out what he did. but. Uh, he would know. Here he is, folks, Lloyd Orbach. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Lloyd. How are you and your family doing? Doing all right. What's going on in your neck of the woods, sir? Well, just uh, between events, I was uh, actually in Salem, Massachusetts a couple weeks ago. Oh. For the Psychic Entertainers Association meeting and a little bit of uh, tourism and uh, got the parapsychology convention coming up. The um, Parapsychological Association is having its annual convention at the Institute of Neurotic Sciences in Petaluma, California, coming up uh, at the very beginning of August. So it's uh, a little over a week and a half. For, for you professionals that are, are in that field, what do you do when you get together? Uh, do some of the important conversations happen outside the conference hall over lunch or dinner or in the hallway? Well, I, I think some of the more creative stuff, certainly um, in response especially to the papers and uh, study overviews that are presented, mm -hmm. happen outside of the actual presentations. That's just kind of a normal thing for any kind of conference at all. Uh, but a lot of what we're doing here, this event every year, is to really hear what people have been working on, what kind of research people have been doing. You know, people have to present, have to actually 
send in their um, research papers and uh, such to be approved to present. But then we also have some panels on some interesting topics. This year, we've got a bunch of really kind of a couple of different focuses for the for the event, and uh, it, that's always at, at the discretion of the convention chair. What this year, you? it's Dean Radin from Institute of Noetic Sciences. Yeah. So Dean has some really interesting, you know, interests, which is good. They, they kind of dovetail a lot with mine, too. And you have a chance to see or preview some of these papers beforehand. Um, what might be a paper that might raise some eyebrows, even with, with you folks? Well, actually, we don't get to, sh to, to preview the papers, typically. We okay. get to preview the program and see what's on the program. We, we, the proceedings usually are not released until the actual uh, conference. And uh, these days, a lot of folks are actually just simply sending the papers to whoever asks for them you know, electronically rather than actually publishing a conference proceedings. But in looking at this, I'm really interested in some of the precognition studies that are being done mm -hmm. that are going to be presented. And especially interested in some of the work that's going to be presented about poltergeist and mind over matter outside the laboratory. Which is where most of it happens. Well, that's, that certainly is where most mind over matter happens. Mm -hmm. It's not where the studies happen typically, because when you're doing a controlled study, you have to do that in a controlled environment. But that's always tough to do when you're dealing with certain types of phenomena. My, the PK, psychokinesis, is one of the more difficult ones. The study in the laboratory, when you're talking about any gross movement, such as what Martin Caden did, mm -hmm. but we do other things. Uh, one of the papers being presented is a study on psychokinesis on electronics, you know, computers and other types of electronics. We can do that in the laboratory. You can pretty much do that anywhere in a controlled way. Uh, years ago, uh, Dr. Berthold Schwartz brought a gentleman, Joey Newsom, to Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, yeah. What do you think about Joey Newsom? Video I've seen of Joey Newsom, uh, he may have had real abilities, but I can tell you that what I saw, um, I was not impressed by. I mean, he was he was a good faker. Let's put it that way. And I actually know. Um, one of my colleagues in the Psychic Entertainers Association is a man named Banachek, who knew Joy Newsom for a very long time. Apparently, they, I don't know if they grew up together or they just knew each other in their youth. Mm -hmm. And he knew that Joey Newsom was playing with reality, you might say. Okay. You know, again, he might have had some real ability. You know, it's, it's, it's always difficult to say. When you have somebody like Uri Geller, I know for a fact that he does entertainment. Uh, but I also know, know, and I'm like, this is to me. This is this is real. That he has some real abilities as well. He just doesn't have them all the time. Uh, I, I've had uh, my friend Michael Bryan on the program, and uh, indirectly, Michael and I have talked about the uh, Indian avatar and mystic Sai Baba, who allegedly can manifest things mm -hmm. out of thin air. Uh, you probably haven't sat in front of him, but have you heard about that? What do you think about that? I don't think Sai Baba's with us anymore, is he? Uh, I do know a couple of the researchers. I actually, back in 1982, 83, mm -hmm. my first job in parapsychology was working at the American Society for Psychical Research, and I worked with Carlos Osis, um, who 
was one of the folks who investigated Sai Baba, and I have over the years gotten to know Erlander Haraldson, who wrote the book on Sai Baba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of them, just to, so your listeners know, um, they actually consulted Doug Henning back there about Sai Baba. Mm-hmm. The and famous magician. Yes. Uh, they were convinced that there, at least some of what they saw what Sai Baba did was real, was, was genuine. Mm-hmm. Wow. Lloyd, when, when we sum total your years of research, what does it point to in terms of uh, who we are as human beings? Well, from my perspective, it really points to the fact that we have more capability with our consciousness, both living and when we're and after we're deceased, our bodies are gone because we're not still we're not deceased at that point. Our consciousness lives on. I, I think we are definitely more than what we think we are, and this is the problem. What we think we are sets limits. So oh. culturally, educationally, scientifically, the world, the Western world especially, sets limits on what humans can do, and that's why parapsychological work is so uh, you know relegated to the the category of pseudoscience is because our society says, or I should say our academic society says this is not possible. And the fact is that we have much more capability than we give ourselves credit for. Uh, it's not evolution in terms of a physical evolution of the body or, or the brain or the consciousness. It is an evolution of our thought about ourselves that has to happen. A change. And have you met uh, Lloyd in groups of people, uh, folks that have been able to share with you that uh, they've had their own personal peak experience? Have you found that if you if you hunker down with folks that most everybody has had something like that that they remember that they can't explain that they kind of ponder and wonder about? Yeah, you know it's it's really interesting. When people find out who I am and, you know, what, I, what I'm involved in, they'll tell me their psychic experiences, many of oh, which are very mundane. Uh, some will tell me, you know, a lot of people tell me their ghost story or other kind of experience, and some will have some pretty extraordinary stories to tell. But when I ask them, have you told anybody about this before, generally the answer is no. And the answer is no because people don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want their friends to, to say that they're crazy, which is not likely to happen unless their friends are one of the diehard skeptics or disbelievers. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, having had these experiences, are going to understand. They're going to accept. Uh, but when you're in a group, you know, if you're in a group of people and everybody's talking and you're not talking to one person, you're talking to the whole group, people tend to worry about how they're seen by the rest. And again, if people would just fess up, I think they find that most of the people in that group would, would be nodding their heads and saying, oh, wait, I had an experience too. And this is a societal thing. This is cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not helped at all by academics, by some academics, and especially the so-called skeptics, the pseudo-skeptics out there, who keep using the term woo-woo whenever they're referring to any, any type of study, experience, or phenomena. You know, millions of people have these experiences, and... They're basically making fun of people is what they're doing. They're being bullies. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes I, I use uh, 
the large football stadium here in Lincoln, Nebraska, that holds 90,000 people, as an example, uh, in that stadium, what would be a percentage of people that have had an ESP experience, Lloyd? Do you have any uh, percentages you can call up here? Uh, not a- I can give you kind of a, jo- a rough idea. Yeah, that's uh, what I want. Just surveys rough. that have said Just that uh, something like almost close to, you know, 50, some surveys have said more than 50%, others have said just under 50% of people have had some experience of um, contact communication or sighting of a ghost of somebody who's dead. Probably a higher percentage would have had an experience that, that we might label uh, ESP. I'd probably put that at 60 or 70 percent if you want to really if you really started explaining to people what these experiences are what they could be mm-hmm. and then as far as the mind over matter experiences though that's probably a lower percentage because people tend not to notice the things that are going on around them in that circumstance mm-hmm. the spontaneous experiences that's a, that's a pretty healthy group in that 90,000 people stadium that have had uh, ESP or um or like experiences. Uh, that's that's well. Part. You know, fact is that there's nothing paranormal about the paranormal. <laughs> uh, if we go if we go by the numbers, it's actually it may be rare for an individual to have multiple experiences, but it's a normal experience that people have. And really, if we could get away from calling these things paranormal, if we get away from people from the folklore that pop culture presents to us people could talk more about them and we'd have more of a chance of understanding what they actually are. Like my Lakota medicine uh, man friend, Three Eagle said, what's so super about natural? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Lloyd, that's why you are so valuable to us because uh, you help us understand that we're more than what we've believed. And therein lies, I think... uh, great hope and promise for us all. What are you doing, Lloyd, for fun this weekend? What What does a parapsychologist do for fun? Well, this weekend I'm going to see Ant-Man and the Wasp this afternoon. I've been, I've been traveling for a while, so I haven't had a chance to catch up on movies. Okay. And I'm just going to see some friends tomorrow. And uh, I hope that you have a great rest of the weekend, and I hope the air conditioning keeps working. Thank you. Thank you. We need it. Lloyd, always good to talk to you, my friend. All the best. Take care, Scott. You'll find Lloyd Arbach. I'll spell his name for you, L-O-Y-D-A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. You'll find him on Facebook pretty easily. And again, uh, he's got a wealth of books out on the subject. I would recommend uh, Mind Over Matter and also the classic book ESP, Hauntings and Poltergeists. Uh, just type in Lloyd Arbach uh, into Google and take a look at those books. They should all be on your bookshelf. Um, Lloyd joins, joins us every third Saturday of the month, and uh, his, his uh, important segment is called Invisible Signals. We're going to take the bottom of the hour break, and we'll be back with our special guest in studio here, Joel Green, the author of the brand-new book, Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, recollections. Uh, Anybody that grew up in Lincoln or in southeast Nebraska, uh, you know about Robber's Cave and the experts here with us. We're going to have a great conversation. I'm Scott Colborn. This is the band Enigma. We'll be right back.
way to be caught Your battle's lost But far as even fought You try to keep your head, you know You try to be cool But a wicked little smile lets you know She's not fooled You're walking straight into disaster She's gonna eat you alive Fat chance you'll survive You're thinking Someone ought to catch you Devil in a smile and her eyes flashing fire Red talon nails and porcelain skin She radiates an aura of the most delicious sins And you tell yourself to love her would be seven kinds of hell But you're helpless to resist her Like she's cast some kind of spell And you're an educated man You're all too wise to the stakes Yet you're barreling headlong into this deadly mistake You're thinking someone ought to catch you before you take this far And there's no one there to save you Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436-2384. And... The 2018 Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, August 24th and 25th at River West Park in Elkhorn, Nebraska. With special guests, Peter Case, Becca Mancari, Evan Bartles and the Stony Lonesomes, the Wildwoods, and many others. Plus camping, tubing, and family fun. Tickets for this party on the river at NebraskaFolkAndRoots.com. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's why if you please, I am on my KZUM's Jerry Garcia Birthday Bash returns for its 12th year on Saturday, July 28th at 8 p.m. at Bodega's Alley with a night full of the music of Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead by the Jerry Pranksters, plus an opening set by Peach Truck celebrating the music of the Allman Brothers Band. Win raffle prizes, celebrate the life and music of Jerry Garcia, and support KZUM, your home for the Grateful Dead and so much more for 40 years. That's the Jerry Garcia Birthday Bash, a KZUM benefit, on Saturday, July 28th at 8 p.m. at Bodega's Alley. Find out more at kzum.org. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, presenting Honky Tonk Hoedown, a Nebraska Folk and Roots pre-party on Saturday, August 11th from 7 to 11 p.m. at the Playmore Ballroom featuring the Hangin' Cowboys, Clarence Tilton, and the Bottle Tops. 
Tickets and more at NebraskaFolkandRoots.com. Lincoln Electric System presenting its annual Sustainable Living Festival on Saturday, July 28th from 9 a.m. to noon in the rail yard with dozens of booths from community partners, plus interactive events to teach the whole family about taking care of the environment. The family-friendly event is open to all. More at les.com slash fest. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Music from the band Enigma from Cobalt. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. Jim, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Um, how's the car? Doing better. Good. Air conditioning works again. Yay! And uh, I, as I mentioned to Charlene, I ran into her cohort, Bob Dow- Downey, down at the uh, auto mechanic store shop yesterday. Oh. So he was that was a lot having of having car problems too, huh? Apparently so, but... Uh, <laughs> I introduced myself and uh, thanked them for all the wonderful work they do down there. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was fun. And speaking of fun, we've got a treat having our live guests in the studio with us today. You know, usually we have people on the phone from all over the world, which is great. Yeah. But uh, it's always nice to have someone sitting here in the studio with us that we, we can reach across and smack if we need to. Hmm. Well, I don't think we'll be doing that here. <laughs> no, we won't. Your coffee on me. That's uh, Joel Green uh, is with us. Joel's the author of a brand new book called Robber's Cave Truths, Legends, Recollections. He's been with uh, uh, LPS, Lincoln Public Schools, for 14 years. That's right, yeah. And uh, he works a lot with kids, and uh, now he's giving tours at... Robber's Cave, which is underneath uh, the Blue Blood Brewing Company. You say that three times real fast. Yeah, see, I've got to really enunciate, make sure Blue Blood. I, I, I do, too. <laughs> Why is it called Blue Blood? I know, uh, but... It's a reference to, they have a really strong uh, connection with police, the owner mm-hmm. as a Long former policeman. Yeah. A lot of the partners and investors are cops or former cops. Good. Uh, it also kind of goes into how they name their beers, some of them. 
And mm-hmm. um, if you're military or EMS or fire or, you know, you actually get a really nice discount at the brewery there. Oh, so that's cool. They show their ID about 25% off. So, Well, years ago, uh, the author of A Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln, Alan Boy, sure. happened to have been in town and contacted me about the time that a Journal and Star article was scheduled to run on the closing of the entrance to the cave. The developer, Tom White, uh, had, um, had concerns about vandalism. Mm-hmm. So he was going to permanently, semi-permanently, close the entrance. And um, Alan, uh, Alan Boy and I ran over and stood in front of the cave, sort of shoulder to shoulder, and uh, did an interview asking for help in trying to save the cave. Um, we contacted politicians because it wasn't on a historical register. Mm-hmm. There was no legislation that would prevent the owner from doing what he wanted to, you know, with the cave. Um, I, because I had a background also in real estate, uh, I tried to talk to Tom White about, uh, you know, whoever buys this, you're going to have to tell them there's a cave underneath. And they're going to say, I want to see it. And then you're going to have to say, oh, I can't because I put 20 tons of rock and debris down the entrance blocking that. Mm-hmm. But that was a decision that was made. And within a couple of days, I had a friend that came over to my bookstore and said, the bulldozers are over there. And so, oh my goodness, we had, we had concerns about the cave because it's an a active, live cave. There's moisture present. Um, if you bottle that up, what's going to happen to the integrity of the cave? And so this was a great solution. Um, I was trying to figure out a way myself, you know, how could you get the cave open and allow people to see it and yet pay for the taxes, the upkeep, all that stuff. So this worked out great. Whose brainchild was this? Do you know anything about the decision to do that? I do remember um, that the property was for sale. It was an abandoned CD property for almost Mm -hmm. 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I remember the sign, Tom White, ZSA Real Estate. I remember your photo in the paper standing by the door with it boarded up like that. Um, well, Blue Blood started back in 2011 over on West South Street, and I think they're the ones that jumped at the chance to buy Robbers Cave because they felt it went along with that cops and robbers theme. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so um, Sam Manzito is one of the uh, co-owners, and and uh, and all of his structural engineers were down there. And um, there's only one spot where they had to build cribbing, where a few you know, little tree roots were coming through, but. Um, I believe the property only sold for what hundred ninety-seven thousand dollars, but wow. you know, over a million of the TIF tax money I believe was dumped into it. But uh, the brainchild, I'm going to say, probably uh, Brian Podwinski from Blue Blood mm-hmm. and uh, Sam Manzito. Some of the other partners and investors were probably in on the idea as well. I'm really thankful that they did buy it and open it back up because yeah, um, I mean there was going to be a robber's cave book whether there was a a restaurant slash brewery atop that or not. I started it back in 2003, but um, what a great opportunity to uh, you know show off the cave and and um, and uh, share the stories and the photos and. So you're here live in the studio with us, Joel. I want you to pick that book up. Okay. How does it feel to be holding that 
when you started working on it in 2003? Us. Relief, closure, you know, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different feelings. It's, um, mm -hmm. I'm really proud of it. Like I said, you mentioned Alan Boy. Um, I had that book when I was younger, not the first edition, maybe the second or third, but, you know, read it hundreds of times. And uh, my aunt Peggy, she used to cruise us around Lincoln in her old black, in her old black Lincoln Continental, actually, and, and uh, take us to a lot of those spooky spots, try to freak us out. So that's how I was first introduced to Robber's Cave. Always fascinated by the mystique of it and everything. Mm -hmm. and. And uh, started the book when my wife was in college. Here she had a, a place conscious writing class and uh, wanted to do it on Robber's Cave. Well, I had already done a lot of research, been to the historical society and the, the heritage room and, you know, great information, just always frustrated by the lack of it. Just a few photos, a few articles. And so I set the project aside when the city bulldozed the entrance and set the project aside for many years, actually. And um, I'm a big basketball fan, so after, after college, I went out to Philadelphia and worked for the 76ers. Um, that led into a job with the Cleveland Cavaliers, the 04-05 season. I was editing their media guides, working in their PR department, um, translating for a Brazilian player, things like that. And then when I moved back to Lincoln, I was like, you know, there's a couple of spots that, uh, you know, when you move away from Lincoln mm -hmm. to some larger cities and things, you start to appreciate, you know, how we have everything here. It just doesn't take an hour and a half to get to. Right. <laughs> and uh, I loved the new trail system and, and things going on. I kind of had a newfound love for Lincoln. And I was like, there's some really cool spots that there's not a whole lot written about mm -hmm. history-wise, mm -hmm. a few articles here and there. Robber's Cave was one. Mm -hmm. Capitol Beach, where I grew up, was the other. So Capitol Beach is going to be the second book if, oh, cool. if I do not have Robber's Cave second edition or volume two, because mm -hmm. as predicted, a lot of folks have, uh, since the book has come out, it's reaching Omaha, Kearney, oh. Seward, Nebraska City, Brownville. <laughs> a lot of people have contacted me with their stories, and I'm thinking, I would, just as predicted, a lot of stuff was going to pop up, so we might have a volume two. Oh, heck yes. Yeah. If you, it, it feels great to have it finished, and it's been really, really fun. Congratulations. Yeah. And I either want that book or a copy before we part company today, okay? <laughs> I, I can make that happen. Jim's already got his copy, so. Yes. All right. I was down in Nebraska City in Brownville, and um, I came home empty-handed. All the books That's were awesome. gone uh, that I brought in the trunk, so um, I made sure to bring one for you. <laughs> If you looked really closely at the center of my forehead, right above my eyes, there is a mark here. Okay. That came from the miniature railroad track at Capitol Beach. Is that right? There was a miniature train that ran around there that was on the outskirts of the grounds between the parking lot and the, the actual park. Uh, and so we had gone to the amusement park, had fun, and we were racing back to the car in darkness. And I tripped over that first rail and came down and hit my head on that second Ouch. rail. Okay. Now, people have said, Colborne, you've got a hard head. I can prove it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, my parents took me to the hospital. My forehead swelled up. I had this huge egg out there. And they said, no, he's probably got a mild concussion. Just keep him awake for a while and, you know, he'll be fine. So I have seen some black and white photographs of that. And the I, train thought, I thought that you were going to reference an accident. I think there might have been an accident on that on uh, that ride where a few people were injured. But um, this came running from the from the park. Yeah. Okay. 
And they, they had this deal, too, that was a center of gravity thing that you tried to get toward the center, and it would spin around and, and would fling you off. And so they also had a gunny sack sort of thing that you went down. And so I've got places on my sure. elbows where you tried to put your elbows out to break yourself, and you left part of yourself on them. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Let's come back to, to Robber's Cave. What a, what a great idea you had for a book because there are so many stories that we all carry about our involvement with a cave as well as there's the historical stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, before I just turn things over to you for a, a while here, my involvement was that I grew up here in, in South Lincoln and we could ride our bikes over to the cave. So there was a white two-story farmhouse on a hot day, 100 degrees. We'd ride over and lay our bikes down. We'd knock on, on the door. A woman would come to the door. We'd give her a quarter, and she'd turn the lights on and say, okay, you guys go down in the cave. And we'd say, well, how do we know when we should come up when our quarter's been spent? And she would say, don't worry. I'll flick the lights on and off. <laughs> that's, that's your signal to leave. So we got to go down to the cave. And I think grade is 54 degrees, something like that. It's in between 50 and 55 year-round. Mm-hmm. So, so still to this day. 100 degrees, we would go down there and get goosebumps all over our arms and legs just immediately. Free air conditioning. Free air conditioning, yes. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Fast forward, kids had Boy Scout, Girl Scout parties down there, birthday parties. Um, I know from my own historical society research many years ago that UNL, the geology department, used to take students out. I saw part of the, um, a guest book, and there were guests that came from foreign countries mm-hmm. that would take a trolley out to about where Van Dorn Park is and they would walk from there then to the cave, and they signed in from England, from France, mm-hmm. about their experiences. Isn't that great? There's a, a photo in the book, and uh, an old souvenir booklet from around 1908. I believe the geology professor you're talking about, Dr. Barber, I believe, possibly. But um, on, the, on the cover of the um, souvenir booklet, it says you have to take the pen car to High Street. You'd hop off and walk over. But, yeah, there's still folks from all over the world that, that come and see the cave today. Um, on uh, public tours, I always ask, you know, ask if people are from out of town. Oftentimes you get folks from around America, but, you know, quite often you'll have a few people from uh, out of the country. Mm-hmm. I've even had a few books sell in Germany, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Online orders from Germany. <laughs> this is Joel Green. And his website, it's very easy to find, robberscavebook.com. And can people go to your website and acquire the book through the website? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Robberscavebook.com. Um, there's a little bit about in- information about the book, a little information about me, some upcoming events, speaking appearances, book signings, things like that. But there's a big button right on the website if you're interested in buying the book. Um, you can do it from the website, and I'll drop it in the mail for you. Okay, and was this a, a solo project, writing the book, or did you have help from family or friends and doing the research? Or? 
Um, all me, yeah, all from about 10 o'clock at night to midnight for several years mm-hmm. is when uh, things would quiet down for me. Trips to the Historical Society and... Yep. And were you able also, um, I haven't had the pleasure and sure looking forward to reading your book, uh, did you uh, talk with people also uh, that may be older about having grown up and gone to the cave or their experiences? I definitely did. I had a list of people in mind, and um, one of my friends, a former student's grandpa is Ron Hull uh, from NET, and I've become pretty good friends with him. I mentored his uh, grandson, Christopher Peñas Hull, at Irving, and um, Christopher won a Letters About Literature essay contest one time, and we were down at the um, Nebraska Club having a, an award dinner, and he brought his grandpa with him. And um, his grandpa gave me one of his books, and and I kind of got to know him a little bit mm-hmm. and learned about his relationship with Dick Cavett. And so when I found out that Dick Cavett was really upset that Robber's Cave was sealed up, I said, well, shoot, it's not anymore, and I'm going to make it happen. And so uh, a couple of Februarys ago, when he was in town with Paula Poundstone at the Lead Center, um, I drove over and picked up Dick and Martha from their hotel and drove them over to the cave. They met a childhood friend of theirs, and uh, the few of us did a fun little private tour. Fun. What, what a great time. I could spend yeah. an hour on that if you wanted. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Wow. Yeah. I had to bring old you know, Dick Cavett back, just walking around in the tunnels. He's going on and on about Marlon Brando and Lawrence Olivier and Janis Joplin. And wow. Of course, with who his parents were, teachers, and, and me being an English teacher, Mark Twain, Robber's Cave, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So... I, you know, I asked him, you know, his recollections, um, the whole section of the book kind of wrote itself with the recollections of having folks come back on tours and mm-hmm. tell you about first dates, first kisses, school field trips. Uh, there's another gentleman out in Emerald who's a historian who writes uh, history books uh, for that area, Dale Knobman, and uh, for Nebraska's 150th birthday, he wanted to be in Robber's Cave so he, he could say he was in a place that's older than the city of Lincoln. And so I did a little private tour with Dale and his wife, Glorianne. They came in from Emerald. And he remembers touring the cave in the 1950s for school field trips. Mm-hmm. And so just everything, picnics, birthdays, barbecues, you know, frat parties. Um, I have everything in there from the late 1800s to the 1920s Girl Scouts. Um, Awesome photos in the 1950s after some of my uh, speaking engagements. Some sweet little old ladies will come up to you with a stack of Polaroid pictures. And uh, Martha Brown from down at the Chamber of Commerce had some great black and whites from July 1957. And uh, they're in the book, too. Hilarious photos. They're, they're cooking weenies. You have these old school kegs. You know, everybody just in their party and having a good time. And now I, I show these in my presentations and things like that. And, you know, Lincoln's like a big, small town. Right. Some people are like, hey, that was my college roommate. Or, hey, I remember him. He played basketball for Palmyra. Or, hey, look, it's that track. And, you know, they remember oftentimes. And on tours, people can still find their names. I mean, it's really, really soft Dakota sandstone. But if it's not messed with, it pretty much lasts forever. People come down and find their own names. So is there... Colborne down there, you think? I don't know. I can't remember if we did that or not. Okay. Uh, well, and, and I looked when I was on the tour of the cave, and I didn't see it anywhere, but uh, that was one of the things that impressed me. And, of course, they don't let people do that anymore. Right, right. 
but you'll get a vandalism ticket if you try it now. So. For every square inch of space, almost on the walls of the cave is covered with graffiti markings. Uh huh. It's just you could spend all day looking at that stuff. Well, let's come back after the top of the hour break here, and let's talk about historically where the came uh, the cave came from. Sure. When it was first discovered some of the early uses for the cave. Um, maybe trace, if we, if we could, with your help, Joel, the ownership. Who first owned it? How did it change hands, et cetera? I can do that. Looking awesome. forward to it. In front of that two-story white har- uh, farmhouse was a concrete block building that fronted on South 9th Street. Um, and it was a bait shop, mm-hmm. bait and tackle shop. They also occasionally had puppies for sale. Mm-hmm. But that was always our stop going out fishing. Because we lived in that part of town, so we'd always swing by the bait and tackle shop and pick up worms and minnows. And I knew that, that the cave is just 50 yards away right there. So I believe that was owned by Mary Fritz and Mary Yaney. Mary's Pet Shop, man. Yep. Okay, Joel Green, the author of the brand new book, Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections. His website is, again, very easy to find, robberscavebook.com. We'll have more conversation about the cave that a lot of us spent time in right after this. We'll be right back. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And... From the 2018 Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, August 24th and 25th at River West Park in Elkhorn, Nebraska. With special guests, Grand Ole Opry stars Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley, Handmade Moments, Jack Hotel, Matt Cox, and many others. Plus camping, tubing, and family fun. Tickets for this party on the river at nebraskafolkandroots.com. And... 
Roca Tavern, presenting its annual Roca Hoedown outdoors on Friday, July 27th, starting at 4 p.m. Featuring Sean but there Cole isn't and Drunk enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Born with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Jim Shorty is here. We are drinking Jack Reacher coffee. Our special guest, Joel Green, is in studio. Joel's got 14 years with the Lincoln Public Schools, and he is the author of the brand new book, Robber's Cave Truths, Legends, Recollections. Uh, Joel, again, thank you so much for coming to join us this morning and being here in the studio live. My uh, pleasure. Let's talk to the, the listening audience now about. Um, who discovered the cave, some historical stuff about it? Um, first dated recorded use of the cave, 1862. A handful of settlers used it to survive a harsh winter. I was able to uh, find the old land grant. Uh, the cave is older than the city of Lincoln. The land grant, I believe, is from 1864. And it says uh, Yankee Hill, three geological digits at the top. At the bottom, it actually has I, Abraham Lincoln, deed this property to. It's back when the government was given land to War of 1812 veterans. Uh, gentleman Roswell Huntington's widow, Harriet Green, was the first one to own it. Um, a brewery used it in the 1860s and 70s, and then it was in that Scarborough family for four generations. Wow. J.W. to Fred, Fred to Ed Sr., Ed Sr. to Ed Jr., with a lot of little ownership in between. Um, there's uh, the Lowe's and the Chipmans. Uh, the Cochran's, Michael Ulmer and Andrew Lindner were the ones that had the, the brewery. Um, actually, the first brewery in Lincoln, Nebraska, the Pioneer Brewing Company, uh, sat right on top of it. You could get down into the cave through the cellar, which is how the majority of the came, cave uh, is formed. Okay, There's one natural tunnel um, from, the, from the creek flooding many, many times over the years. Uh, but the majority of the cave is man-made. A gentleman by the name of Jacob Andra, he was a German immigrant from Lima, Ohio, a horse collar maker actually. He lived down on Rose Street and with a pickaxe, a shovel, and a wheelbarrow and a few laborers for about four years. Uh, 
packed out the 5,600 square feet of robber's cave. Wow. When you follow down into the other tunnels, you'll notice uh, the shape of the tunnels change completely from, you know, a natural peaked arch with the water marks and things like that to this perfect arch with pickaxe marks. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of really tell. They also dug a well for the brewery, uh, Fat Man's Misery. You guys might remember that section. Um, It used to go down about 62 feet. You know, it was the water source for the lagering process. And uh, it's only about 50 feet deep now. It's filled up with a lot of sand, mud, muck, say, uh, water, clay, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So off limits to the public now. A um, mm-hmm. little tight spot you can squeeze through. But when you get down there, it's pretty wet, pretty muddy, and you have to duck pretty low. And you'd actually pop out in the other side of the cave. But um, I think eventually, I'm not sure what the owners um, have in mind uh, historic, historically, you know, but I'm, I'd be more than happy to help the help them get the site um, on the National Registry of Historic Places. Um, Jim McKee, who answered a lot of questions for my book, a Lincoln Mm -hmm. historian, writes for the Journal Star and kind of reviewed the book for me. And um, he said that uh, it would would most likely make it just on the basis that the first brewery in Lincoln sat right on top of it and they used the cave for the lagering Mm -hmm. process. That 50 to 55 degree temp is perfect. Uh, for storing lager and barrels and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, uh, any truth to the rumor that the cave system stretched all the way underground to the penitentiary? I used to wonder that uh, when I was younger. Um, the guy did the Ghost of Lincoln book. Uh, an aw- as an awesome book as it is, uh, is, is sensationalized quite a bit. Yeah, you is. don't want to read it as mm-hmm. a uh, historical fact. Um, with the rumors uh, about the tunnels going all the way to the Penn or the regional center, uh, two things, I think, lended to that. One was that the cave used to be called Penitentiary Cave just because of its proximity to the state pen. Mm-hmm. And also, tunnel number three and tunnel number two, if you remember, used to be stoned up. They were walled off. Yep. You would get to the west end of them, and you'd be met by a brick wall. And so I think that also... A lot of folks like, ooh, what's on the other side, you know? But in actuality, if you were on the other side of those stone walls, you would have been in the cellar of the old Pioneer Brewing Company, not even to the train tracks yet, Mm -hmm. where the big white elevators, you know, shoot up after the train tracks to the west. So uh, the farthest south the cave extends is if you're standing on the patio of the restaurant looking south toward the penitentiary, um, there's an overflow parking lot and um, the third tunnel, the, the farthest south tunnel, is just underneath that uh, third mm. or that overflow parking lot, and that's as far south as it goes. Mm-hmm. So the, the tunnel was used by early homesteaders as a place to, to, uh, of refuge from, you mentioned, a harsh winter. I imagine if there was a bad storm that came through, it could be used. Another rumor was that uh, Frank James, Mm -hmm. the Jesse James gang, Frank James used the cave on more than one occasion. Any truth to that that you've been able to find? Uh, Usually, um, when the cave is brought up or if it's covered by the news or anything like that, uh, Jesse James is the first thing that people want to ask about. Um, Out-of-towners as well want to ask about Mm -hmm. Jesse and Frank and if they use the cave and I believe at one sign they used to kind of market it because of the rumors and things like that mm-hmm. and I used to just I used to think uh, initially that it was kind of for um, kind of a touristy bring people in add to the folklore add to the legend 
And I thought, nah, no way. And so for the chapter about Jesse James on the book, um, I tracked down a Pulitzer Prize winning author. Um, that was all things Jesse James. And um, asked him some questions and uh, got his opinion. And then also uh, found a Jesse James expert, per se, uh, from the Kansas City area who owns a lot of the property that he used to uh, run around on. And the first gentleman, uh, TJ Styles, author, he said uh, he doesn't have any um, documentation of Jesse James running around in caves or using caves or anything like that. He was more the kind of guy who would dress well, stay in the nice hotels, shake the sheriff's hand, you know, hope you catch him, that kind of guy. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, a cave on, uh, besides that, a cave is a terrible place to hide if you're on the run. Um, there's nowhere for your smoke to go. There's nowhere to put your horses. There's no second exit. There's no water source. So I tell, I, you know, I explain all of this to the second gentleman, the second expert, uh, Jim Beckner from the Kansas City area. And he says, I, I, get why, I get why that expert believes that. He goes, it's very logical. It makes perfect sense to me. But here's why he's wrong. <laughs> he goes, they were in a very abnormal situation, being that Frank and, and Jesse were shot up. And that cave is a very abnormal cave. He goes, there's a place to put your horses. There's a second exit. There was an air shaft. And there was a water source. And it was right on the route from where they were coming after the Northfield bank robbery down to Rulo, Nebraska, where Jesse and Frank's mom, Zarelda, lived to get fixed up. She was married to a doctor. And he, th- he says it makes perfect sense to him, to him for, that they stopped uh, for fresh horses on their way down to Rulo. So made me think twice. I'll just wow. leave it at that. <laughs> so it could be true. Yeah, interesting. How about that? This is Joel Green, uh, and the book we're talking about is Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections. How many pictures did you, did you get in the book? It was difficult to choose. Um, I figured I'd better stop with 100. Um, to be honest, uh, collecting the photos became pretty pricey. Um, the Historical Society, you can get you know, a digital, digital copy for about $12, but if you want to put them on display in the brewery or anything, you go back, do a contract with them, you know, pay them a little more money. If you're going to put them in a book, you go back, pay them a little more money. So uh, it ended up being quite expensive for each individual photo, especially the really, really old ones that they had from around 1908. There was a gentleman by the name of FM Downs that came and photographed the cave for postcards. And those are awesome photos because they were what helped me uh, get a lot of the then and now uh, effect. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of those, but I ended up with a manila folder with over 570 st- pages of stories and photos and things. And a lot of them came because I was able to track down the old owner of the cave, 88 year old Ed Scarborough Jr. Um, still alive and uh, quite an eccentric guy, colorful individual, but very generous. Um, shared a lot of stories with me. I visited him several times. He has these old scrapbooks that he would bring out and show me photos. And, hmm. and that's how I was able to get a lot of my uh, really, really rare and unique photographs. I mean, I think there's only one copy, and they're probably the ones in his book. So I was really glad that he let me put them in, the bo- uh, put them in my book. Well, let's use this radio program as a vehicle that if people listening live or to the archive, and we'll have that archive of the show posted free of charge in about a week, 
If anybody listening has got more information, photographs, documentation, family heirlooms, artifacts, or personal stories about your experience with Robbers Cave, let's have you contact Joel Green. And Joel can be reached through the website, which is robberscavebook.com. Yeah, my email is on there. My phone number is on the site, um, at Robbers Cave Book. I'm on Facebook. I get a lot of messages that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of guests on tours uh, at Blue Blood will bring back old advertisement cards. Sure. Um, and I was able to track down Ed Jr.'s stepson, Scott Maven, who used to, when the cave reopened for a few years in the 80s, he would give about 15, 20-minute tours. He was raised on the property. Right. So I had to bring him back. And luckily, I talked him into coming back for a tour, walking around with him, seeing what's, what's the same, what's different. And um, I actually uh, gave him an old sand bottle uh, that Ed Jr., I was visiting Ed Jr. At, uh, at his house, asking him some questions. And he turns around and opens up his cabinet, and he gives me these two sand bottles uh, that old lady Scarborough made out of, the, out of the cave sand. They used to sell them at a souvenir shop. Really, really neat pieces. There's photos of them in the book as well. So actually a bottle made from the sand from the... From Robber's Cave, yeah. There's about five different shades of sand. And um, he gave me both of them. And I decided to give one of them to Scott Mabin, the stepson. Mm -hmm. Because he said he didn't really have anything to remember the cave by or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, well, shoot, if anybody should have this, it should be you. So I gave him the big one. And I kept the little one that Ed Jr. gave to me that they used to sell from the souvenir shop. So they're from the early 1900s. Um, Esther Scarborough, who would have been um, his, his grandma, mm-hmm. you know, really, really old uh, Spanish war widow, uh, would make those with a straw and um, sell them. She was known as the bird lady or the canary doctor. A lot of people would take their, their birds in, but she lived in that house you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So... The four generations of Scarboroughs on that property. J.W. to Fred, Fred to Ed Sr., Ed Sr. to Ed Jr. Um, J.W. is the one that purchased the cave in 1906 and with the intent of having the whole thing be a giant mushroom garden, believe it or not. Oh, wow. It makes perfect sense, though, right? You remember how, how uh, moist it is down there? Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, when they were cleaning it out, you know, not only did they find some arrowheads and a tanning stone, they used to have a cool shadow box up top where they would display things, but unfortunately, vandals broke the glass and wiped them out often. Um, Ed Jr. found an old rifle, and um, it was an 1873 Winchester model with a really low serial number on it. I have a photo of it and everything. And uh, he sold it to a gentleman named Dick Headley made a pretty penny off of it. Oh, yeah. They founded it, yeah. And um, I've heard an old Civil War saber was found in a post hole on the property. Um, and so uh, they opened it up from, you know, 1906. You know how rumors spread. Mm-hmm. People were starting to hear about some of the things they were finding there. Everybody was going to come see the place anyway. So they said, well, forget the mushroom idea. You know, let's just open it up to the public. And that's why from 1906 all the way to 1973, and for a handful of years in the mid-80s, like you said, as you remember, Robber's Cave was open for school field trips, mm-hmm. you know, picnics, birthdays, barbecues, frat parties, you know, Husker football parties, you name it. Uh, I'm sure you guys remember Grandmother's Restaurant, right? They used to have the tradition where the Husker band would play the Friday before the home games 
Um, well, Blue Blood actually took that over for him. They, uh, the band plays at the cave now. Sometimes on the brewery floor, sometimes down in the cave. You know, they open up the garage and grill. It's a great time. I was working one of those nights uh, talking to an old Lincoln High teacher of mine who used to play for the Huskers back in the 60s. And he was talking about how the Husker band, or not the Husker band, the football team, after the spring game, would have a giant party at Robbers Cave annually. Bob Devaney would come by, have a drink. I don't know about that, but... um, yeah, there was a big stage. You know, the little steps you walk down were always lined with kegs. Uh, there was a big stage where bands would play down there, and I can still find the hole where the uh, extension cord used to drop down. Mm. And you didn't need speakers or amplifiers down there, right? It was yeah. be for the lights for the stage. And uh, I just love giving tours because you get folks from, you know, a gentleman that played for a, a metal band in 71 came back on a tour was talking about how thick the tunnels would get with smoke and everything like that, explaining to me how they would set up the drum kit and how there's this little ledge at the back of Tunnel 2 that was where the drummer sat and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. So it first started out as a, as a brewery, uh, and it continues now. That's interesting, that cycle it's gone through. Yeah, I do some uh, uh, articles for the 55-plus newspaper. That was the subject matter. Keith Larson. Keith Larson, yeah. Yeah. Very, very supportive of my stories and and things like that. I was really glad when he asked me to write for that paper because that was perfect subject matter of of how, you know, not everybody appreciates the cave as much as I do and uh, as much as a lot of the guests, I think the attendance on the tours shows that it's it's been very underappreciated over the years. And so I'm really glad that it's opened back up. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's that was the perfect subject matter of how we've come full circle. And it's not just um, the fact that you can tour the cave again; it's come full circle as a brewery. It's come full circle with um, kids trick or treating there. Mm. It's come full circle with movies being shown in Tunnel Two. I found references of movies being shown in Tunnel Two in the '60s, um, which now. Uh, for Halloween, they were kind of showing some movies in Tunnel 2. They showed The Shining twice, showed Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, the movies at Robber's Cave a uh, year, year ago, they went over so well, there's now a Robber's Cave film series. I mean, you can get on the <laughs> Facebook page and, you know, and uh, around the holidays, Home Alone 2, Christmas Vacation, things awesome. like that. But, uh, I mean, talk about a great venue to see The Goonies or Indiana Jones, you know, movies like that, so... Okay, so folks listening are curious now. We've mentioned tours a number of times. Mm-hmm. How do they do a tour? Uh, Robbers Cave has public tours at Blue Blood on Wednesday nights, uh, Saturdays and at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and also on Sundays at 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock. And those tours include uh, the brewery as well. So they include the brewery and the cave. Um, the majority of the tours I, uh, I just gave Lance from Lance's journal of uh, Channel 1011 about two and a half hours with my daughter and I. And I told him he's, he's filming some footage for his show, Lance's Journal, a couple of days ago. And I said, Lance, I had to count up before you came here. You're my 204th wow. tour of the year, you know, and we're not even through July yet. So um, you, can, uh, you can call up Ryan Murphy at Blue Blood Brewing um, and uh, just ask for a private tour. And um, you got to give us about a week or two in advance because, mm-hmm. like I said, sometimes I'm there seven days a week. 
Um, but if we have an opening, I'm more than happy to show you around. And if it's early in the day, I, I always bring along my sidekick. I have a little six-year-old who dons her uh, little spelunking hat. Miner's hat. Yeah. Yep. And uh, she will not let you trip. She's going to show you where the bumps are and also point out some great uh, carvings on the wall. And uh, she's been down there many, many times. She knows what she's doing. She means business when she puts that hat on. So she's kind of a hit. And uh, that's that's actually my story about how I got into all this was, uh, and talk about full circle, uh, the Lincoln Amateur Radio Club activities chairperson organized a private tour of Robber's Cave. And so, of course, I had to jump at that. Well, that's really cool. I finally get to go see this cave. This was back in the old days. <laughs> back last year. Oh, last year. Okay. <laughs> Actually, was it earlier this? It was earlier this year. Uh, prior to the release of the book, and uh, my, my first time in the cave, first time meeting Joel, and I had such a great time, and I thought, wow, he'd make a great guest on our little radio program. So here we go, from, from one form of radio to another, here we are together again. Here we are. All, all because of my association with amateur radio, now I'm here sitting on... Uh, a broadcast station across the mic from Joel Green talking about Robber's Cave. Isn't that cool? Hey, so Joel, the, the tour is, uh, is on your robberscavebook.com. Is there a schedule of the public tours? How can they get that? On my personal website, there is not. Um, all of the tours have to be scheduled through Blue Blood Brewing Company. Okay, so if you if you found the website, I don't have that handy, but it's Blue Blood Blue Blood Brewing, Brewing. Uh -huh. Okay, Blue Blood Brewing .com, and there's a way to sign up for the public tours online, um, the ones on Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays, and then also there's information on uh, how to set up a private tour. You just call uh, Ryan Murphy is the is the marketing gal, and her number's four seven seven two three three seven. And you say, Ryan, we'd like a private tour with Joel, and uh, yeah, we'll make it happen. See, I travel, guys. I travel by my stomach. So what I'm envisioning for the people listening is that they want to get a tour scheduled, and then either before or afterwards, they want to eat there. It's usually what happens. Oh, yeah. yeah right. I've, I've eaten there a number of times. Mm -hmm. Food's great. Mm -hmm. So... Um, that's how I would do it. I would get the tour scheduled and have a meal before or afterwards then. Um, how long are the tours? Um, generally, the public tours are uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, the private tours are about that as well. Sometimes there'll be some youngsters on the tour, or sometimes I'll have you know, requests. I can make them as short or as long as you want. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't go for hours, obviously, but... Um, Sometimes when we have big season ticket holder parties or something like that, and there's a few hundred people on the brewery floor um, or having a large company party or something like that, we'll do half-hour tours um, just to get everybody through in time. But if you were to sign up for a, a, a private tour or a public tour, it's going to be, I'm going to say, 50 minutes to an hour. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would probably schedule the tour and then do the dinner afterwards. Yeah, and if you're gonna if you're gonna come for a private tour, um, yeah, they're definitely gonna ask if you have plans to stay to mm -hmm. eat, and eat afterwards because they're gonna need to know uh, so we can have some space space for and you. stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Right. Well, it, again, I said this earlier, but this is just so wonderful that the cave could be 
uh, resurrected, preserved, uh, and people allowed to go through there now. And I think it's so, so, so cool. So you're down in the cave. Anything in terms of graffiti from somebody that the listeners might recognize? Any famous names down there that you found? Hmm. The majority of the graffiti came in the form of spray paint. A lot of that has had, had to have been removed uh, very carefully. Not all of it could be because you don't want to go you know, scratching everything off of the walls. Um, mm -hmm. This was all done before they opened. But in terms of the carvings, um, yeah, I'm yeah, referring there to the are carvings. a few. Uh, the oldest one we have, uh, Sam Dalton, 1875. Everybody automatically thinks of the Dalton gang. But honestly, everybody back then was named Sam, in my opinion. So there's no <laughs> way to know, right? Uh, there's definitely some faux old carvings, okay? After you've been down there enough, you can tell which ones are really baked into the sand and, and, and old and... Uh, there's a few down there that are like 1888, but when you look at them, they're fresh, you know, so they're made within the last 10 years or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So there's some old ones with new ones on top of them. Um, there's an old Sphinx head uh, back at the end of Tunnel I 2 that's it. really deep. Yeah, Her face is falling off, but I found a reference to that's from the early 1900s, a Union College sororities initiation ceremony ritual something or other i wasn't there right <laughs> the walls could talk scott um, might have been there yeah that one's still there um and that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon uh yeah. another one i like to show off is um if you remember uh ideal grocery before it burned down a few years sure. ago the original owner gardner moore the former owner of the cave uh, explained to me by fat man's misery gardner moore was there way back in the day hopped upon a picnic table put a deep carving of his name high up on the wall. Really easy to find. Um, envision a picnic table right by Fat Man's Misery and you just look straight up. There's Gardner Moore's 1906 carving, clear as day in cursive. Um, and a lot of them up high in cursive um, show up in some photos I have that are over a century old, okay? And you have wow. Lincoln Northeast carvings, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln High School carvings. Um, you know, you got names down there, Sorensen, things like that. So, I'm, I mean, I'm sure... You know, like I said, people come back and and uh, recognize a lot of them, find their old names. But I love, absolutely love doing the class reunions. Lincoln Northeast, Lincoln High, class of 67, class of 76. They all come back and they have a big party in the, in the, uh, in the bay or on the brewery floor and they come down in caves. They're always wearing buttons with their old yearbook pictures, right? So everybody's got big perms, big afros, things like that. <laughs> and, They've got hair. And I love hearing their stories, you know? I give a tour, but I'm also like, hey guys, you know, if you want to keep it PG-13 for me, I'd like to hear your stories too. Right. And uh, I'll never forget, one guy took me outside uh, after a tour and uh, brought me to a certain area near those elevators and showed me where he and his 12-year-old buddies in the 60s tried to dig their way, burrow their way into the cave. And uh, they were caught. Um, it was like a week-long venture. Part of it collapsed on them. Um, they were caught by the Scarboroughs. The Scarboroughs plugged the spot with a giant tree trunk. But he, he knew exactly where it was. I couldn't believe it. I mean, things like that pop up on tours because... You know, people are just so pumped that finally it's it's open. You can go back. A nice nostalgia trip for a lot of people brings back a lot of memories. But, um, yeah, I mean, the carvings are everywhere. And um, and uh, Gardner Moore, you know, 
Um, there's a lot of the fraternities. Uh, I believe it's Sigma Alpha Mu, one of two of Lincoln's Jewish fraternities, giant carving right at the entrance. And so, I mean, like you said, every inch is covered. Mm-hmm. So every time I go down there, though, I can almost, you know, find something I didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. Sure. A lot of them are kind of naughty. But other than the Greek lettering, you're going to find a lot of hearts, a lot of peace peace signs, a lot of faces, faces mm-hmm. all over the place. So one time we cut off the lights in the fall, did, did a lantern tours in the dark. And there's a cross tunnel that you walk through with a lantern and all these faces and handprints light up on you. So it was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's take the bottom of the hour break and allow folks to get up and go use the bathroom and refresh that cup of coffee. When we come back, tell me if you've ever experienced anything uh, paranormal, uh, unusual in the cave. Okay. Okay? Sure. Uh, this is Joel Green. He's been with LPS for 14 years, been researching since 2003? 2003 is when I started the book, correct. And the book is now out, Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections. And uh, wow, all of us that grew up, this is just so fun to go down that memory lane. Because I can see myself on my Schwinn, one speed, pedal as fast as you can go bike, hauling over there on a hot day with friends, and giving the lady the quarter and going down to the cave. And this is, this is what I can sense being somewhat of an outsider, not a Lincoln native. Whenever I talk to somebody about the cave and it being reopened, I can sense that excitement. Yeah. It's really cool. Okay, folks, stay right there. Joel Green, Jim Shorney, and I'm Scott Colborn. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back. Says you know I love you, baby. And I gotta ride. I hear the call of the road in his side. See the soaring eagle in his eye. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, July 21st, the David Nance Group and Death Cow play Duffy's Tavern at 9. And Big Daddy Caleb and the Chargers start at 6 at The Zoo Bar, followed at 9 by Chris Meck and the Second Sons with the Tim Budig Band. That's what's happening this week in Lincoln. Join KZUM for the next concert in our free summer music series at Stransky Park this Thursday, July 26th at 7 p.m. for the blues-influenced indie rock of Verse and the Vices and the guitar-driven electric blues of Levi William, plus food trucks and kids' activities by the ArtReach Project. That's this Thursday at Stransky Park at 17th and Harrison. Brought to you with support from Deets Music, Rabble Mill, the Lincoln Arts Council, Augustum's Printing, and Brian Health. Find out more at kzum.org.
Support for KZUM comes from Rabble Mill, presenting Skate Art Music Anti-Gala on Saturday, April 25th at the Bay, featuring New Jersey rock trio Screaming Females, hip-hop with Ebony Tusks, and 10 Nebraska acts on two indoor and outdoor stages, plus prize-winning skate competition and beer garden. Proceeds support Rabble Mill's mission to end generational poverty one young person at a time. More at rabblemill.org. And from... Maha Music Festival on Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Omaha's Exarban Village. Now two days featuring Father John Misty, TV on the radio, ZZ Ward, U.S. Girls, and more. Plus a special performance by Omaha Girls Rock. Tickets and more at mahamusicfestival.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Our special guest today with Jim and I is Joel Green, the author of Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections. And his website is robberscavebook.com. Joel, anything uh, weird or unusual ever happened to you down in the cave? Well, in general, I'm pretty hard to scare. Um, I'm sure. down in the cave so often 
Um, but I, I do have an interest in that type of thing. Whenever my, uh, my wife and I travel, um, we like to take kind of off-the-beaten-path tours. Um, Chicago Haunted History Tour, New Orleans is one of my favorite. Um, the most spooked out I've ever been is in Villisca, Iowa, at the old Axe Murder House there. Yeah, I won't go there. Um, no, right. Go. And, uh, but generally, I do okay with that type of thing and don't get spooked out too often. Um, I do have some pretty interesting photos uh, that some people have shown me, but I personally just have one experience, one video, um, and it happened when I was going to turn on the lights to get ready for a tour, and um, the lights were going, I don't know how else to describe it, but other than haywire, absolutely crazy, um, kind of on and off and all around and everything, and um, I wasn't actually, I was the only one down there and I wasn't actually scared because it was just dead silent. And so I, w I go ahead and pull out my camera and I, I start uh, turning on, I, you know, I hit record on the video and walk into the first tunnel. Lights are going crazy. I walk about halfway down the first tunnel and all of them stop. None of the lights are flashing anymore. There's one light on in the whole cave and it's the one right up above me. And I thought that was a little interesting. Um, the camera is still recording. I look to the left, complete darkness. I look to the right. I guess there was another little light on. It was the faint glow um, down by uh, the well. There must have been, you know, like an emergency uh, light on or something like mm -hmm. that from the from the end of that tunnel. And that's when I just decided to not walk any further into the cave. I turned around and went back upstairs and, you know, found the manager and said, um, are we going to be doing... <laughs> are we going to be doing tours today? Here's look at this video. And so Not somebody bad. saw that and said, Oh my gosh, you need to put that on Facebook right away. And I, I waited for about a week or two, but it, it's up on the Robert's cave book, Facebook page. If anybody wants to check it out. Okay. Now the, uh, the technician in me has to ask the lights are, are they wired to go on and off independently or are they all on one circuit to where they're supposed to be either on or off? Right before I give a tour and I turn on the lights, that turns everything in the cave on. Mm -hmm. um, but when they do movies and things like that, there have been times in the cave where portions of the cave are lit up and other portions aren't. So I'm not 100% sure where all of the light switches are in the cave yeah. because we do have that one tunnel. The farthest third tunnel is for the northern long-eared bats, right? Yeah. We call it the bat cave. Mm -hmm. And it's dark back there, uh, except for some red nocturnal lighting. And so, um, yeah, you know, that was the one time, um, I, you know, I, there's another one of the partners and investors, uh, former Senator Colby Coash, um, his wife, uh, it kind of runs in her family that she's able to sense some things. And, and she's hmm. seen something up above Colby at one time and on a tour hmm. that nobody else saw. But uh, there was a kind of a face-shaped orb that came out in the photograph. And I'd be, I'd be glad to show you guys that as well. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, people come on tours and have heard about that. Because um, from, from, hmm. Colby Coash gives tours at times also. And so um, that, that was in the barrel room. Um, when 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 they uh, uh, resurrected the cave, there were twenty tons of concrete and dirt and debris down that entrance. Was that a laborious process to get that out? Uh, to dig that out? Me personally, I was not a part of the uh, the bucket gang that removed a lot of that. 
because if you remember when Salt Creek had flooded, uh, a lot of that had, you know, filled in with mud. Um, the two walls that used to uh, block off tunnels three and two had had uh, fallen in. And, um, and so there was with a bucket gang, they removed a lot of the mud. And you know, I think with pickaxes and just buckets, they had to lower the floor in order to get the arch that we now take tours through to get into the cave. They had to lower the floor to get that arch up to code mm -hmm. so that we could mm -hmm. you know, legally take you guys in, show you what have been sealed up all these years. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, had to have been a lot of work. And they got it cleaned up then and, and as best you can clean a cave. When I've seen the photos, um, uh, the before and after. Well, there's bottles, light, broken light bulbs, batteries, sacks, mm -hmm. pipes, uh, pieces of the old rotten picnic tables, uh, graffiti everywhere, candles uh, coming out of the holes in the walls. I mean, it's, it's a pretty disturbing scene. You know, if you're walking through there in the dark and you see all of that, there was a mattress down there. There's a bathtub down there. I'm guessing maybe from an old frat party. I'm not sure how they got the bathtub yeah, in there. Wonder. <laughs> maybe you can Some tell me. Some place to put our beer. That's right. <laughs> yeah, maybe for a keg or well, something. Well, I, like I have to admit, not knowing what to expect when I went down there the first time on Joel's tour, I was impressed with how clean and well lit it was. Relatively speaking, I mean, it's a cave. Come on, you know. But, uh, and it's a sandstone cave, so you're going to get sand in your shoes. Yeah. But uh, clean, well-lit, safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the lights, it used to be a lot darker. It used to be a lot smellier. It used to be a lot wetter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, shout out to my, my friend Iris Stebe, who pretty much lived down there putting in the light bulbs. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's all lit up now. I, I think it looks great. Mm -hmm. um, I like to ask people that have come back whether they, you know, is it larger or smaller than you remember it? And interestingly, I get both extremes. Um, hmm. Some of the folks that when they were really young, they're running around in there, right? And they come back and they think that it's more confined, more smaller than they sure. remember it. And I go, well, that's probably because you thought you were running around Carlsbad Caverns back then, right? But then you also get the other side of the coin where people come back and think that I had no idea now that it's all lit up, you know, because not everybody was brave enough to go through and down certain passageways and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a 5,600 square foot cave and it's anywhere from 700 to 900 lineal feet if you count the cross tunnels and, and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. Great memories here. Joel Green, the author of the brand new book, Robber's Cave Truths, Legends, Recollections. Um, are there any important dates coming up for Robbers Cave uh, historically that we should be aware of? Um, there are some upcoming events. I'll be uh, on August 8th. I'll be at Indigo Bridge at 6:30 doing a, a book signing and a Q and A. Um, I've been invited. I've been invited to the Sequel Bookstore in Kearney, Nebraska. I'll be there on August oh, 18th. Hold on, it's pronounced Kearney. Okay, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I've had, it wrong. I've had it wrong all along, if that's the case. Yeah. The sequel bookshop in, uh, in, in Kearney slash Kearney. Um, August 28th, I'll be at the Denton Community Historical Society talking about the cave, giving a presentation from 7 to 8. Cool. Uh, September the 19th, I'll be at Gear uh, doing a presentation for aging partners 
Um, October 9th, I'm excited about this one because this is right up Ed Zimmer and Jim McKee's alley. Uh, I was invited to be one of the uh, Preservation Association of Lincoln, right? PAL, Brown Bag uh, Lecture Series guests. Very cool. So I'll be doing that for the Nebraska State Historical Society on October the 9th at noon. And then lastly, um, October 21st at 2 o'clock, I was invited to be the reader for the Ames reading series in the Heritage Room down cool. at the Bennett Martin Library. So, well, they're keeping um, you busy. This has all come up within the last month. Yeah, it's wow. def- calendar's definitely filling up, and um, all the dates and locations are on, on the Facebook page and on the website. And, um, yeah, my daughter and I have been really busy this summer keeping, keeping bookstores I need to uh, get her to sign filled. my book. We'll make it happen, yeah. All right, you mentioned the Batcave. Mm-hmm. This is important. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure. And well, you're saying bat as in B-A-T, bat, the bat, things yeah, that fly through the air. The, 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 the mouse with wings. That's kind, yeah. of a, that's kind of a misconception. They're, they're not really rodents with wings, no, but um, most people think that, yeah. yeah. When uh, Robber's Cave has brown bats, tricolored bats, but what they didn't know is they had the northern long-eared bat, mm-hmm. which happens to be on the government's threatened species list. And they're on there because... 95% of them are being wiped out by something called the white nose disorder. And um, apparently they live in the cave. And it's just kind of something that's swept the nation from the east, working its way to the west. And um, the cave used to have, I mean, in the guide to the Ghost of Lincoln book, it was probably a little overestimated, but it's a thousands and thousands of bats, right? Um, most guests guesstimate a couple of hundred. Currently, there's about 55 to 60 Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's probably even less than that now. Um, but uh, the the zoologists from Nebraska Game and Parks come, and uh, they have to put on a new pair of gloves each time. But they take them down from where they like to hide in their little holes up in the ceiling. They hibernate from fall to spring, and they put a little something on their wing, and with a Q-tip, smear some something on their nose, and and uh, keep track of them. Put them up back in the hole. That they hibernate so yeah there's uh last i heard about 55 to 60 northern long-eared bats and um that cave is all meshed off the the uh that tunnel i should say that particular tunnel used to be a transient camp at one time in the mm-hmm. 80s but for 75 years before that it, it was known as the lunch room okay you'll see some photos of it in the book there's a, a big 30-foot picnic table uh, a big fireplace, and I kid you not, a chimney, you know, big air shaft where people would cook. And uh, the picnic table rotted out. That's not there anymore. But the, the air shaft where the fireplace was is still there. And Blue Blood leaves that open for the bats to come and go as they please. They fly in and out mm-hmm. that way, okay? But it's all meshed off to protect the bats. And like I said, dark with the red nocturnal sure. lighting. But... Um, that's uh that's about the northern well, longer. And that's bat. great that they're they're doing their part to help preserve the bats. You know, uh last fall break, uh my daughter and I went down to check out another cave uh in Nebraska. Um it's a diatomite cave, but it's known as the Happy Jack Chalk Mine. And they have mm. the same issue. It's larger than Robbers mm-hmm. Cave, but uh they have the same issue with the northern long eared bats there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, Joel. Um We've got the end of the program approaching here. What would you like to say to the folks about either the process of writing your book or about the cave in general? Um, the process about writing the book, um, like I said, it was 
a blast to do. I'm glad that it's done. I was flabber, <laughs> flabbergasted that it was so well received, being such a local history. Um, the first week, June the 4th, we had our, our book launch at Francie and Finch downtown in, in the old telephone building. And then the next night, another book launch at Robber's Cave in the barrel room there. Which is where and I was. Yeah, thank you for attending that. And uh, it's it sold out of three three bookshops in the first week. Okay, the mm-hmm. um, it's available in Lincoln. You can buy a copy at the Nebraska State Capitol, uh, the Nebraska History Museum. You can find it at the From Nebraska Gift Shop. Um, is this okay to, to, mm-hmm. to say sure. where it's yeah. available? Okay, Indigo Bridge down in the Haymarket has it. Uh, Francie and Finch downtown. Jim McKee's Coinery sells it. Uh, Badger's Books out in Union College has copies. Uh, you can obviously get it at Blue Blood behind the hostess stand. Um, good things on O Street. Really awesome coffee shop out in Capitol Beach. Vina Morris sells copies for me. In Omaha, you can get it at the Bookworm. Um, and the library in Omaha actually has it. On uh, Seward, Chapters Books. And Kearney, uh, the sequel bookstore. In Nebraska City, the Keeping Room, and at the Wildwood House, the Arbor Lodge is going to have it in Nebraska City. And if you ever get to Brownville, the the Lyceum and Next Chapter Bookstore. So mm-hmm. it's been a busy wow. summer, and Congratulations. I really, really hope it keeps selling well. So, Do you think your daughter's listening right now? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, Would you hi. like to say anything to her? Hi, Brookie. Hi, Brooklyn and Tiffany. Have fun out in uh, out west. They're attending Heritage Days in Alliance with my in-laws. Oh. My wife's from the Alliance, Nebraska. Have so. fun and be good. Yeah, that's right. She's, oh. she's an awesome kid, so easy yeah. to do. Yeah. Joel, thank you so much. Please keep us posted on your work. Um, we appreciate also your work, uh, aside from the book, with LPS and with people, with young people and education. Thank you for that. And uh, I sure wish you well. This was so fun to go down memory lane with you here, and I've just, I've just had a, a great time. Uh, it was a blast. Thank you guys for, uh, for inviting me. It was my pleasure, and anytime you want to come check out the tunnels, I'd be glad to show you around. Joel Green, his brand-new book, Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections. The website is robberscavebook.com. I'm Scott Colborn. Hey, who's coming up next week? Well, I'll tell you that. Guess what? It's our old friend Preston Dennett. Ah. He's got a brand new book out called Nut From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. I can't wait to talk to him about that. These are personal experiences and stories from people that have contacted Preston. Uh, Rasha, Rasha coming up August 4th, Oneness, The Meditations. August 11th, we've got Brian Seach, the co-founder of the Center for Unexplained Events in Pennsylvania. The 18th, we've got Rosemary Lynn Guiley and Kevin Paul, co-authors of Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. Hey, Joe, I just thought about something, too. Any, any special plans for Halloween, the month of October, coming up for tours? Um, none that I know of. I can't speak to that. I know a couple of years ago, a few hundred kids came and trick-or-treated to the cave. Well, and you make sure and let me know if there is, okay? skyrocketed to over 2,000. So sure. the past couple of years, there has been, but I don't want to speak uh, about any events on behalf of the you, brewery. You so. keep us posted, okay? Sure, I'd be glad to. Okay, Jim, thank you so much for the introduction, too. Yeah, this was great fun. And I know there's there's people out there probably listening who are saying, I had no idea. Well, don't feel bad. I didn't either. Hey, stay tuned for some more great music with our friend Vic with Mesoterra. 
coming up here in about three minutes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Scott Colborn. Until next week, walk in beauty.